Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Welcome to another episode of the Sales IQ Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi, and as always, I'm pumped, honored, and excited that you have joined us for what is going to be a cracking episode. What is going to be a brilliant episode? It is a topic about closing. You heard that right, folks. Ring that bell. We are talking about how to close more deals. And we're talking with practitioner James Muir, who is an author of The Perfect Close. And James is going to reveal some incredible insights on how you can close more deals. And James has done it for a number of years, working as VP of sales for a number of organizations. And also, you know, in his spare time, does a number of keynotes and workshops and wrote a book on how to close. And I got the privilege, I had the privilege of seeing James at the biggest, the baddest conference in the world, sales conference that is, outbound last year. And I was blown away from his session. So I'm so honored to have James attend the Sales IQ podcast. So guys, it's going to be super enjoyable. So before we get into it, we have a message from our sponsors, Vanilla Sales. So guys, for all of you out there, for most sales professionals, we are all using a CRM. You know, CRM was designed for managing relationships. However, sales engagement is designed for starting them. Now, current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50% of the time and make less than two attempts to contact them and are only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. Vanilla Soft is a sales engagement platform like no other. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing qualified leads into sales qualified leads. So guys, if you're using another sales engagement platform, stop right now and head over to VanillaSoft.com. Get yourself a free trial because it will help you close more deals. It will help you have more conversations so you can get more opportunities in your pipeline and close more deals. So thank you to the team at VanillaSoft for bringing you this podcast on how to close more deals. James, welcome to the Sales IQ podcast. Thanks, Luigi. It's great to be here. Oh, man, I'm super pumped to have you on. And as you know, I've been chasing you hard, trying to close you to come onto the podcast. So I really, really appreciate you <laughs> accepting and giving me some of your time. My pleasure. I'm pretty excited. Closing is arguably one of the most important skills. Um, it's a little more complex than that, but it's definitely a skill that every business person should know. Yeah, fantastic, man. And look, before we get into this you know, really exciting topic, um, we'd love to learn a little bit more about you and how you started in the world of sales. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm actually an accidental salesperson. Um, I started out as an operations person in a family-owned revenue cycle management business, and uh, I was actually I would go out with the sales reps as a domain expert to try to answer technical and difficult questions. And then we acquired a business in another region, and then um, we, they needed an operations person who could also sell. And so I ended up getting drafted into sales. And that, so I was basically this very technical person uh, and now having to sell. And you can only imagine what that was like. In fact, I, I was so anal and process driven that when I 
became my own salesperson. I created this big schematic of the <laughs> process of how you're going to get the solution and everything. And I would take it out to clients. I said, okay, now you're going to do this and I'm going to do this. And we'll just say that it, it wasn't always met with, uh, with extreme uh, interest <laughs> whenever I would show that. But that's how anal I was, right? Um, but uh, in, in the end, uh, I would say that uh, it's really important to have a very strong background in the domain that you're selling in. Yeah. So uh, I don't think... I think the day of straight salespeople where they don't have any domain expertise is sort of a thing of the past. You need to have a, a sort of an intersection of sales skills plus domain skills in order to be, you know, a top performer in the world today. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think you know that whole, you know, what does it take to be a top performer? It's it's where more and more people are getting exposed, right? Because um, yes, I think you know the sales process. When you look back on 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 why people buy. I think the sales process hasn't changed. I think the way in which people make decisions and how they can engage with sales professionals has changed. And so that's exposing more and more of the profession. Um, but mate, one, one thing that's different about you and what I loved about your book and your workbook is you give a ton of content away. You're actually you know, different to other people that we have on the show and many authors out there. You're a practitioner. You're still, you're, this is not your full-time gig. <laughs> That's right. I, this is a side hustle. And uh, so I still manage a, a team of sales professionals today and I have uh, for the last 20 something years. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I'm an everyday practitioner. I'm out there in the street duking it out, you know, every day, <laughs> just like just like the rest of the people listening to this podcast. So I sort of have learned from the school of hard knocks. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. So and at the moment, what, what, what type of product uh, are you selling? So I've always been in the healthcare space. So whether that's accounts receivable, revenue cycle management, um, yep. uh, human resource shift scheduling, those kinds of things, that's that's where I'm at today. Is still operating in all those places, and we also do some optimization when it comes to, you know, electronic medical records and things like that. Yeah, fantastic, man. Well, mate, I'm um, you know it's so cool to have an actual practitioner talk to us about you know what you're doing out in the field. So. Before we actually talk about the perfect close, let's talk about, in your opinion, the definition of closing. Well, so there's a lot of definitions out there, actually. Um, if you asked you know, the average salesperson uh, out there, you'd probably get as many definitions as there are salespeople. And <laughs> what, what I have found over the years is that some of those definitions are something like um, the magic thing that you say that gets a customer to buy, right? <laughs> and that there's something wrong with that because uh, yeah. there is no magic thing, first of all. And second, um, that kind of paints the situation sort of an all or nothing uh, type of a scenario. And then there's this other definition that you get, which is sort of closing is everything from the beginning of the sale all the way to the end of the sale, right? And by the mm -hmm. way, I, I actually believe that. I believe that. But that is such a broad definition. That's kind of redefining closing as all of selling. And yeah. and, and, we're only and the only reason you're going to define closing is so that you can you can – become better at it, right? So you can, we can yes. become more, more effective. So a broad definition like that isn't very helpful. And so I didn't really invent this definition. Uh, a, a very famous man named Neil Rackham, who uh, yep. at the time in the 80s had done the largest sales study ever conducted. It had over 35,000 face-to-face sales interactions. He actually coined the, the, uh, the definition that I like to use. And he basically defined closing as any any situation where we, we put the customer um, in it was where they we're going to have a commitment basically anytime we put them in a situation where we have to make they have to make a decision that's yep. a that's a close and um, just to go a little bit further uh, in his studies what he found surprisingly is that 
it, nine out of 10 sales interactions actually don't end with either a win or a lose or a, a close or a no sale. That's not what actually happens. In nine out of 10 sales encounters, what you end up with is what he called an advance, which he defined as moving the sell forward in a little way or uh, another term he coined, which is called a continuation, where the, the, the sale is going to continue, but no progress is really made. And so um, when he says close, and same thing for me, when I say close, what I really mean is either you know, the final close or moving the sale forward in a little way in advance. Yeah. Either one of those is a sort of a legitimate um, interpretation when I use the word close. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to talk about that a bit further. And for those that don't know Neil, um, the famous book he authored was Spin Selling. Yes, and you should read it too, because a whole ton of the, the data that he produced in there um, refutes a whole ton of common myths that are out there in selling right now, and that's been around since the 80s. So as long as you're yes. adhering to the, to the data that we learned a long time ago, you won't be making certain mistakes like always be closing. The truth is, um, the, past the first attempt, there's actually a negative correlation between closing attempts and closing success. So you, that's a, I mean, it's, yeah. it's easy to remember always be closing, but the truth is, it's actually not true. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so just, you know, on that, because one of the things I love about Anthony Norino, for example, is he really breaks down, um, you know, those different stages of the commitment that occurs from, you know, that point of um, engagement right through to point of close. So I love the way that you've explained, you know, what the definition of closing from your opinion is. Um, now, for some people, the term closing, it's it's seen as a dirty word, Right. Um, some people don't like, oh, I don't close, you know, um, just like with people that say, I'm not in sales. You know, help me understand in your opinion why people have, you know, have a negative association with the term closing. Oh, I'll tell you exactly why. So there's only two reasons why people don't don't close, by the way. It's either skill or skill yeah. or will. So skill is yeah. is knowing how to do it, and will is the desire or the you know the motivation to ask. And between those two, by far the most common reason that people don't close is is will that is the motivation to ask in fact statistically 50 to 90 percent of all meetings actually end without any commitment being asked for at all right and so if you said hey why Whoa. why is that it really goes back to what you were just saying and, and it's this is that 99 percent of all the closing techniques being taught out there are manipulative they are and um so whether it's alternate choice close or the assumptive close or uh, the sharp angle close I and mean, we can go through all these different closes <laughs> but every one of them is kind of setting a trap uh, for the person and trying to force them into your way of thinking. And so they're all manipulative. And so um, the other thing that we know is that all of them damage trust. And we don't want to damage trust, yeah. right? We want long-lasting relationships to last a lifetime. And so what happens Absolutely. is when people get into a situation where they know that they should ask for commitment, but they can't think of a way to do that with damaging trust, well, they opt to just do nothing at all. And that's actually what I did too initially, right? I was like, well, I don't want yeah. to damage my relationship, so I'm just not going to do anything and, and pray that the sale closes itself. And that's another myth, by the way, is it really won't it won't close itself. Yeah. And that's so. Uh, if we go back to that, so for really, you know, the, the the skill versus the will, the knowing how to do it and the desire to do it. So, what about you know? I mean, you're coaching and, and managing a lot of sales team, um, some sales professionals, right? Yes. Do you have some that know how to do it, but the desire there to actually ask for that commitment? They're struggling to do oh, that. Oh, absolutely. But you know what you need to do? Yeah. All you need to do is get to the root cause of why is that they're hesitating. And usually you yeah. can trace that back to a couple of things. There's one of maybe five things that it is. But uh, a really common one is that they're actually not sold on the solution yet. 
And so if, if you're not sold on the thing that you're providing, then you better get sold, right? That is like fundamentally something that you have to do because if you feel like you're actually screwing the customer by selling them something, you are going to telegraph that mm. all over the place in your nonverbal <laughs> communication. So um, get sold on your solution. And if you, don't, if you can't get sold on it, then you shouldn't be selling it, right? Go, go work for a company yeah. or go sell a thing that you can get behind. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say the second thing is that um, people have a very, um, I mean, very common misconception about what selling really is. And selling is just helping a, another customer. It's serving. It's, it's facilitating a decision on their part. You're coaching them, right? And so, uh, and a way that I like to illustrate that that's paradigm shifting is um, there's a, I'm in the healthcare space. And so there, there's a, a, a story where uh, a, a young child named Kaiba Giamfrida was born with a tracheal defect that caused him to stop breathing, uh, breathe every day yeah. after he reached about six weeks old. And so his parents were doing CPR on him every day. I, I don't know if you can even think what that would be like as a, as a parent, mm -hmm. knowing that any second your kid might stop breathing and die, but I bet they got no sleep. But they yeah. saw a ton of doctors. Nobody could figure out a way to solve this because it, it was a birth defect. So eventually they got to this guy named um, Dr. Green at C.S. Mott's Children's Hospital in Michigan. And um, Dr. Green had invented this, this uh, biodegradable 3D medical um, printed splint that could possibly be applied yeah. to his trachea and save his life. But the, but the challenge was that it hadn't been FDA approved. So he couldn't actually do it on people. And, um, and it's just this very tiny thing. It's about the size of a pencil. But in, in any case, um, he went to some great lengths to try to um, make it possible for him to do uh, that procedure on Kaiba. And ultimately, the FDA yeah. did approve it. So for the very first time, it was actually done on a baby um, to try to save Kaiba's life. And that procedure was a success, actually. So that that 3D wow. printed biodegradable medical splint saved his life. And this is a dramatic story, right? I mean, we marvel with gratitude at the effort that was gone to to, to save uh, the child's life. And when we see that kind of behavior in society, we count ourselves part of it. You know, we think that that's awesome. Yeah. And we say, hey, if I could save a life that way, I would do that. That the surprising thing is when people hear this story and they love it, that I like to show that, did you know that there was a sale? involved in, in yeah. that sale and the guy that actually sold all the the biodegraded materials to print with the ct scans the mri scans the printers all that stuff all cost money right and so the guy that actually made that sales named scott hollister and um, but we never mm -hmm. hear about that part of the story right because it because it yeah. takes away some of the some of the the this nice you know nice of the story but here's the thing Does, is anybody sad that us uh, there well, heck no, right? We're glad that a sale it saved a child's life. And so the big question is, well, why is it that we see that type of uh, sale differently than other kinds of sales? And, and the answer to that question is that we can more easily connect it to the benefit that the people get, right? We can, more, we can connect the dots. Automatic sales demonstrate and reveal what selling really is, and that is it's serving. When, when, whenever we help a person, whether you know, it's a, a small thing or a big thing, we're helping them move from where they are to where they want to be. And any sale that we do, in fact, a whole ton of solutions, all they do is just take burdens off of people's shoulders so they can focus on higher value activities like, like work or family. And so um, yeah. that, those stories help shift that paradigm into thinking, no, no, this selling is not about persuasion. It's not about getting what you want. It's not about tricking them into saying yes. It's just about serving that person and helping them get from where they are to where they want to be. And in that sense, we're just facilitators and we're just coaches. So I don't, I don't, maybe that was a long-term uh, answer to your question, but um, when, my, when I find someone on my team 
um, is struggling with the, the will to ask, right? Then what yeah. we do is let's just get to the root cause of what's causing them to hesitate. Do they not believe in the product or do they believe that, you know, somehow what they're doing is self-serving? And if and that's the case, one of the great ways you can do as a manager, what you could do is you can bring in your clients that you already have and have them speak to your sales team and have your clients share with you, this is why we bought. This is what, this is the benefit that we get. And when that comes from not from you, the sales manager, but when it comes from a client, you, you can shift your, your salespeople's paradigm almost immediately because they see that it really does benefit people. And so they can speak with conviction when they're on uh, the phone with them or face to face. Yeah, man, I, I love that story. And I, I remember you saying, you know, talking about that particular story in Outbound and it really resonated with me. It just goes to show that you know there is we there is in every 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 interaction where we're trying to influence or change or help there is a component of there's the sales in there right yes um because that well, that's what makes up what i say the true definition of sales the tr sales professional you, you just mentioned it serving helping facilitating so just to make sure that we capture because there's a lot of we got a lot of business owners solopreneurs entrepreneurs and sales pros you know listen to this show um and I hear it all the time. It's that, you know, they, they hate the clothes. Um, and, and what I've heard you say is to, in order to break that mindset, go back to determine the impact the solution that you offer can have and really derive what that impact, you know, is. And if, if it's not something that resonates with you and you see it and you believe it, then you're probably in the wrong business. That's right. And that's tough medicine, right, yeah. uh, for some folks, because you, that might mean a career shift. But uh, yeah, another yeah. way to think about it, Luigi, is, is this, is, you know, whenever we're taking on something new or challenging, we all would love to have a coach help us move forward yeah. at our own pace, right? Whether we're exercising or whatever it is, right? And, and the perfect close helps do that, right? Um, the key is just to give a little bit of thought into the steps that will help the client get there. And those are the advances, right, that Neil Rackham talked about. And, and so while we don't always know the exact pace that's right for them, a little bit of preparation helps us coach them. And clients yeah. are engaging us precisely because they're trying to make some kind of a positive change, right? They're expecting us to be the coach. And if they could do it on their own, they, mm. they wouldn't be engaging us. So, um, it, you know, what we want to do is we want to guide them through each of those little commitments that it takes to help them achieve their goals. So in that case, in that sense, you know, selling is much more than, uh, than just advancing the sale. It's really leadership. Right, and most Absolutely. most salespeople can do a lot better job of of coaching and serving clients than they're doing today. And so that's my challenge to them: is to be a better coach, be a better problem solver, be a better teacher, so we can serve clients better. Yeah, man, James, you just you know you articulate this perfectly, you know, because I'm a big believer in in our profession, and you know that we've uh, you, you you see the posts that I do, but I think the way that you've articulated that message is is perfect. Um, is that, and we've got to believe it. We've got to really, really believe that that's our role as a sales professional. Because the close, um, the close, if we do everything right, it's helping the customer achieve a better state. And this is one of the things I wanted to ask: What are the non-negotiables that we must do before we take the customer to that point of close? Well, you have to discover what it is that, that what, their, what their challenge is and what's actually going to help them get there. And that's going to be unique yeah. for every client. So we don't go into a sales situation assuming that, that, this, that you know the thing that's going to help this customer. You don't assume that. Mm -hmm. And so we just, it's called tabula rasa, right? We just go into the situation thinking, all right, well, what can I do to serve this person, to help this person? And by the way, adopting this mindset will make your selling so much um, uh, funner because you... 
um, you actually don't have control. So the degree you keep leaning into it to try to control a situation that you can't actually control because there's another free agent involved, um, you're going to get frustrated with that. So what you can do, though, is you can walk in knowing that you're going to serve that person as, as well as you can. And then the key is just to understand, you know, how can I walk them through? What questions can I ask them? What, what things can I ask that will help them uh, develop their understanding of their situation, help me understand it? And then we can together think, okay, well, what's the best solution? And you should also um, walk into any situation um, with the, the, um, the idea that if you can't serve this customer best, you're going to point them to the person or the solution that can help them the yeah. best, right? And um, and so that way, you all you have to do, you can walk in completely congruent into any situation, um, knowing that you're going to walk out of there feeling great about yourself and the customer. And I, I will just tell you a crazy story. So I had a um, a client that I did this with, and we actually did not make the sale. I actually recommended, yep. this is a group in Arizona, a medical group, um, and I actually recommended that they go purchase a different solution. Two years later, that person recommended uh, Glenn Edwards out at Banner Health Systems in Phoenix, Arizona, and that turned it ultimately to a $10 million deal. Now, if I hadn't just served that person correctly at the very beginning, right, would I have ever gotten the referral to the account that landed us the biggest deal that we'd ever gotten? I don't think so. And so that's the whole thing is in you um, as the salesperson, you know, we have quotas and we have things like that. And so I call it commission breath. But when you go into a situation with yeah. all that pressure of, oh, am I going to achieve a quota? And, you know, how can I close this deal? You're sending a whole ton of nonverbal signals that you do not want being sent. And so yep. just adopt a different mindset where we're going into the situation. You're thinking, how can I best serve this person? And I'm going to serve this person as, as yeah. best as I can, regardless of the outcome, whether it benefits me or not. And if you do that, you'll end up with situations like the one I just told you. Now, I had to wait two years mm. for the payoff, right? But um, that was a very big payoff, right? And a, and a very big um, validation that that's the right way to serve people. Yeah. But, Dean, and that's, that's where it's a completely different philosophy to the always be closing, right? Because... You know, the sales, like you said, the sales commission, and I love uh, Larry, um, Larry Levine with his, you know, concept of authenticity in the sales process is, you know, that always be closing mentality is irrespective of whether we can help you or not, we're going to sell to you, right? Um, and that's not what the sales, in my opinion, sales professional doesn't do that. And, you know, I have the same, James. I've got clients that I've had for, I don't know, 15 years. I've been selling education for a long time, you know, in the enterprise space. And I've got clients that call me up for anything to do with the word training or education they call me um and if nine times out of ten it's a solution or service i can't provide but i always point them mm -hmm. in the right direction and then that referral enables them um you know they, they don't have to go through that research phase and they see me as always delivering value whenever they hear a particular term so then when they need something that i've got to offer giddy up right there is no um there's no barrier there because i've been delivering value year after year even when i'm not actually selling or, or conducting a Boom. transaction you're on something really big right there right is that every interaction that we have with a customer is a little sample of what it's like to work with us whether it's a big mm. one or a small one and so people learn from those little examples and if we're always adding value then the, we're the first person that comes to their head also they'll never stop talking to you a lot of people complain that their their customers stop yeah. talking to them in the middle of the sales process and probably what's happened there is that you haven't been adding a lot of value throughout and so now that they now that they got your price they don't feel like the, the 
you can offer anything more. And so if you're offering value throughout the entire sales process, they'll always call you back because they're, they're looking for some insight and, and they can trust you with that. So you, you've nailed it, right? That is exactly how the whole thing works. And maybe it's a little metaphysical to say this, but when you're giving without any expectation of return, um, you're sort of feeding this thing into the universe and the universe will feed you back. Yeah. I love that, man. You know, I got my, my sales belt. Bloody hell, I can't find my. So that, that is, for me, you know, we give. And that's why I love, you know, some of the old school books, you know, and, and the old school concepts of Earl Nightingale um, and Jim Rohn and even Jim Kafka, you know, modern day legend um, of relationship selling. That whole concept of we give without any expectation of receiving anything in return, you know, it's going to help us. The universe will help us back in some magical way. And I love that, yep. man. So fact, right here, I have in front of me "Think and Grow Rich," right, Napoleon Hill, and that, that ah, in my opinion, yes. is the ultimate, um, you know, in terms of that concept. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I got it behind me. Actually, it's an awesome book. So, mate, now we're getting into the heart, right? To the heart of the books uh, or your book, which is um, chapter twelve, which is the perfect sale. So, you know, talk to us a bit about. You know, you, what is the perfect sure. sell? Um, in terms of closing, uh, maybe before I share what the questions are, um, let me point out that it's yeah. really important that before you go into any interaction, you should actually have a couple of outcomes in mind. And by that, what I mean is, what do you actually yeah. want to happen as a result of the interaction? And what you should have is an ideal advance, remember Neil Rackham's turn, an advance, or, and a couple mm. of alternatives. And you can think of the alternatives as sort of a backup plan, just in case what your ideal advance proves unrealistic for some reason, right? And, um, and like I said before, statistically, 50 to 90% of all meetings end with no you know, commitment being asked for whatsoever. And that's just because they're not comfortable. So if you have an ideal advance and a couple advances, then it's actually very easy to move the sale forward um, with, with zero pressure and a high probability success. And when I say high probability, I mean around 95% successful each time you meet with them, which means either we get an advance or we get a close every single time we use it. Either it moves forward or we actually get the close, okay? And so there's basically just two questions. Yeah. And sort of the kindergarten version, the first question is this, does it make sense to X? Where X is your ideal advance, right? So an example that might be, hey, does it, does it make sense for us to schedule an assessment to see what our best options are? Okay, in that example, the assessment is the X, right? Now, there's only, there's only two things they're yeah. gonna respond to. They're gonna say yes, or gonna, they're gonna say no. And if they say yes, then awesome, right? We, you just got your ideal advance and you're off to the races. If they say no, yeah. then you're just gonna ask the, the second question. And the second question is just some variation of, well, what do you think is a good next step then? Okay, and the funny thing is mm. that, that as easy as that sounds, what I can tell you is I have been on hundreds and hundreds of ride-alongs with sales reps, where at the end of the call, they know I'm going to expect them to say this. And what happens in 90% of cases is the client just suggests a very logical advance for where they're at right now in their buying process, right? And, and so the yeah. best close is the one that paces the sale at the rate that the other person is ready for. Okay, and what this does is it paces the sale at the rate that they're ready for. Customers are always comfortable with their own next steps, right, that they suggest. Yeah. It's when we try to push the client faster than they're ready for. That's when it starts to feel like manipulation to them, right? But doing it this way, it's just, again, it's completely simple and non-confrontational. But hang on a second. Let the, just start, so what you're telling me and what I'm listening to is going, hang on, James, you're telling me to give up control of the sales process. Oh, yeah. And there's so many books out there that tell you to never, <laughs> never give control up. Okay. But let me, uh, first, and, and if we wanted to debate the nuance of that, we could, but yeah. I would just say the person who asked the questions is actually the one that's controlling things, by the way. But what you're really Boom. doing here 
is you're yes. just asking, hey, does it make sense to do this thing? And by the way, you can upgrade that question a little bit. One of the ways of upgrading is we call it the suggestion. You say, we say something like, you know, other clients at this stage sometimes do X. Does it make sense for us to do X? Right, and then you're kind of coaching them a little bit because sometimes we're selling something that people don't buy very often, and they're yeah. like, like, I sell things that people maybe one time in a lifetime would they Absolutely. buy. Absolutely, yeah. And so when we suggest a, a logical next step, that's very helpful to them. We're, we're just facilitating because they don't have any idea how to buy this. Um, so that we're, we're just again um, facilitating that, but you are kind of giving them control with that second question. And what you say is, hey, well, well what do you think is a good next step? And what it means, uh, there's another, uh, the reason you prepared a couple of alternatives is because you can use what, what we call the fallback. And the fallback, instead of just throwing them the ball and saying, hey, what do you think is a good next step? You could always back off to one of the other advances that you prepared. And that would be, if they say no to the, your ideal advance, you might just say, okay, well, you know, other clients at this stage sometimes do this other thing. Does it make sense to do that? Yeah. And again, they're, they're going to say yes or no. And if they say no after a couple times, and you're just going to throw them the ball and, and say, okay, I've misjudged what we could get done with this meeting. Let's just see where they're at, right? And, and I'm telling you, you just need to have faith here that I have been on so many ride-alongs, and 90% of the time, the customer is going to suggest a very logical step for where they're at. And so just what will happen if you do this is all instead of having a bloated pipeline where you've got all these deals that are stalled yeah. out, what you'll have is a whole pipeline full of deals that are moving slowly forward. And yeah. that ends up creating this critical mass at the end where you have all of these deals coming in. And how fast you hit reach critical mass actually just boils down to how long is your sales mm -hmm. cycle, your average sales cycle, right? So if you can get one done in 90 days, then you know, after 90 days, you'll start accumulating these and it'll start to snowball to the point where all of your deals are slowly coming in. And when they all come in, you'll end up with um, just your close ratios will be really high, like in the 80% range. Mm -hmm. And then, and of course, when that happens, you're going to end up getting a lot more money, right? You're earning yeah. commissions on all of those. And so it's a win-win for you, both you and the client. I think the key here is that we sometimes want the sale to move faster than the customer is ready for. Yeah. Okay. But uh, that is the exact time when you don't want to be doing it because it feels like manipulation to them when you're doing that. Absolutely. And that will cause them to, that will cause them to stop communicating yeah. with you. So um, doing it this way, we're moving the pace. And there's another variation, by the way, that's called the add-on. And so if, if you say, hey, does it make sense for us to do an assessment? And they say, yes, yeah, you could say, okay, well, sometimes clients will also have us do this other thing. So you can actually add on your right. advance even after you've gotten the first advance. And, and you can keep piling on until you've matched the pace that they're ready to go. And that's kind of the point of the whole thing. Yeah, thing is if they want to go faster, then we go faster. If they want to go slower, then we go slower. But we need to go back a minute because you spoke about pipeline, right? And I find that sometimes the closing or I suppose um, the way in which salespeople close is a direct impact of the way they're managing their pipeline, right? So when we have too little, you spoke about a bloated pipeline, um, whether it's top heavy or you know there's opportunities in there that shouldn't be in there and there's very few that are at that point of close then that can create pipeline anxiety which makes people push deals through that funnel that aren't ready to go through that funnel yep and and managers are especially guilty and Correct. corporations I should say of forcing that behavior right yeah. they're putting pressure on the sales rep so what the rep is doing is putting pressure on the clients and that actually backfires in most cases yeah. and I'll give an example of that I remember this um, I used to have this big whiteboard in my office and it had all my uh, opportunities on it okay that's how I'd keep track of it this is the olden days right yeah and so um, I remember this one quarter we had I had exactly 10 opportunities on this page and one of them was ready to go and the other nine on the whiteboard are all in the middle of their sales process, right? So towards the end of the quarter, 
we get upper upper and I'm brand new to sales at this point by the way <laughs> by the way so um, management calls and says hey we're having a tough quarter we need you you know use all legal means possible to um, to close business this quarter and so they encouraged me to offer discounts to all 10 of oh. those ac accounts right which yeah. I did by the way and every single account knew that um, that discount that I was offering them was conditional upon um, getting a, a, a deal before the end of the quarter and that they would not receive that um, discount if it came in later. It, I mean, I'm sure a ton of people on this podcast recognize that drill, right? Yeah. Well, you want, to know how, you want to know how it worked out? Only one of the 10 deals came in and it was the one that was already close to closing anyway. Okay. The other nine, rather than take advantage of the discounts, just continued to evaluate their process, right? And so on every one of those other nine opportunities, I had this, had this awkward conversation with them the next quarter about whether or not they were going to get the same discount they saw the previous quarter. Mm. And what they'd say is, well, James, if it was worth it to you before, why isn't it worth it to you now? Right. And if I would resist, you could literally see a tangible erosion of goodwill on their faces. Yeah. Right. And so fortunately, near the end of the very next quarter, I found myself in the exact same repeat fire drill as the previous quarter, where management's like encouraging us to use discounts to close business. They actually used to call it weapons free. You're not weapons free. Right. You can use discounts to, to close business. And yeah. so thankfully, I used that opportunity to, to provide the same discounts that I had before. And everything ended okay, except, and this is the key point of all this, with lower margins, because none of those nine would have had to have that discount if they hadn't seen it the previous quarter. So yeah. not only did it, it not accelerate the sale like management was hoping, but it, it also caused us to get lower margins the following yeah. quarter. Absolutely. And so it was th that crazy downward spiral that got me thinking, man, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. And uh, you know, you see it all the time, right, with the offer. So the old school tactic of here's the offer, you're getting all this value, but for today only, you're going to pay X, right? People see through that. Um, and it, you know what? It doesn't create long-term customers because all it does, it creates a transaction. It's a quick sale. Um, and well, there's no, it all, there's, it's also very transparent. People can yeah. tell it's a tactic, right? Absolutely. And so I would argue that it actually creates mistrust. Yeah. And, um, and there's some evidence out there. Uh, there was a B2B study done about uh, six years ago. And what they tested is all these different uh, closes, like the one you're talking about, where we create an artificial uh, deadline, right? Yeah. Impending, I think they call it the impending, impending event, event close. close. And, yeah. And, um, and what they determined is, and this is in the B2B scenario, but they determined that every single closing tactic that they tested, surprisingly, right, um, uh, actually damaged trust, all of them. And the ones that were the most manipulative actually damaged trust the most. So they, they went into that thinking, hey, we're going to figure out which closing tactic is the best one. And what they discovered is that all of them actually de destroy trust. Really? So we, yeah, we don't want to be doing that. Um, so uh, actually, you can actually get that study. Um, there's a, a paper on my website called The Seven Deadly Sins of Closing. And they can download it. And there's a reference at the very end. And they can see the study on that one. Okay, I'm downloading it. Straight after this, James. Oh, <laughs> 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 right. uh, so now that we've you know we've really understood that we shouldn't be using you know those closing techniques, you know, impending event, offer close, all that sort of stuff, right? So you've asked the first question. What's the set? What's the next sort of question to help with that perfect close? Well, of course, the first question is, does it make sense? And the second yep. one is, is um, you can either fall back to one of your advances or you can just use that last question, which is, um, you know, what do you think is a good next step? Now, when you're doing the advance, it works a little different. The last question is not, what is a good next step? You would just say something like, well, are there any other options we should be considering right now? 
And, um, and I can tell you a, a crazy story. Like uh, me and my team are uh, working with a healthcare organization in Sierra Vista, Arizona. And we th actually thought we were presenting to the wrong people. And so our ideal advance was actually to present to the executive team. Yep. Uh, so when it comes time, I actually asked this IT guy, I say, well, hey, does it make sense for us to schedule a demo for the rest of your team so we can get their input? And he goes, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm like, ooh, cha-ching, I got my first advance. So I asked <laughs> my second thing. I say, I say, hey, you know, a lot of organizations at this stage will have us uh, have our technical people talk. Uh, you know, have a call, a conference call where we can talk about the conversion. Does it make sense for us to schedule a time for our tech people to meet? And he goes, yes, my guys are really worried about that, right? And I'm going, woo, cha-ching, right? I got my second advance. Mm. And then, um, so I, I said, you know, I think we've got everything we need to create a preliminary proposal here. Do you, does it make sense for me to put together a proposal so you, we can kind of get a feel for the scope of the project? The guy says, yes, that'd be super helpful. I'm like, wow, three for three, <laughs> right? So I'm totally spent. So I just asked him that last question. I said, you know, um, are there any other options we should be considering right now? And you will not even believe what this guy says. This guy says, well, he kind of lowers his voice a little bit. He goes, well, James, is there any chance I get a copy of your agreement? Because our legal people can be kind of slow. Whoa. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, on, on the outside, right? On the outside, I'm like, oh, well, of course I could get you a copy. I'd be happy to do that. But on the inside, I'm like, holy, yeah, man, of course I can get you a contract. Are you kidding me? Right? It's like the best moment ever. And so this is like, this is a crazy thing about this that sort of illustrates the pacing part of it. And that's this is that we didn't even think we were presenting to the right people. I never even dreamed that uh, giving this guy a contract would be yeah. a, a, a realistic advance but by just diplomatically pacing it at the rate that the client was ready to go we scored an amazing four advances one of which we hadn't even dreamed of yeah. so obviously that's the best of all the different variations right is Absolutely. The, but the whole point of this is that the fallback the fallback lets us the second question you know in the fallback lets us slow it down if we need to and the on the add-on that it allows us to speed it up and the whole point is just to, to match the pace that the client's ready for Absolutely. So you're balancing, you know, you're balancing the relationship. You're not putting pressure. You're, you know, maintaining control by giving complete control and, you know, having a joint collabor a collaborative approach into moving forward. And, yep. you know, by doing that, you're actually facilitating, serving and actually helping the customer through, through each stage and going, okay, if you're not ready to go to X, then what do we need to do now to get, get you comfortable to go to X? So, you know, that, that bingo. That, yeah, absolutely. And, and, fantastic. and by the way, I can't think of another thing that makes selling more fun than what you just described, mm. because instead of going into it, leaning it like, oh, I feel like this pressure, I got to convince them my way and I got to persuade them. You don't have to do any of that stuff. And it's so, it's so much funner going into the organ, uh, going into the, to the circumstance with uh, an open slate about I'm just going to serve. It, it's much more fun. Absolutely. You know, I say this, that if you've got to persuade, um, if you've got to convince then you know what? You've got to go back a step because it means that the discovery is either not media enough, you haven't really understood the impact or the problem that you're helping them resolve, um, or there's relationship tension and you're not able to progress the opportunity because there's a, you know, there's a lack of trust. So, And that's one of the reasons why I hate any of that persuasive sales tactics and all that sort of stuff because I don't need to persuade you. If I know where you're going, James, and I know how, you know, what impact that can have on you, your business, your personal life, your team, right? The derived value of that particular outcome, then it's my responsibility to help you get there. And if my solution can't, then I'm definitely going to point you in the direction of something that can help you get there. Because, you know, that is the philosophy and the mindset that true sales professionals must have.
Bingo. Right on the money. I couldn't even say any better than what you just said. Yeah. So, mate, I want to um, ask you a question because in the book you also reference, you know, um, that science has helped us in sales today. I want to ask you, is sales, in your opinion, an art or a science? Oh, um, well, I, I, I told you I was an operations person, right? Yeah. So I didn't even know how to sell. In fact, I, when I would go out with those guys, I would actually say, oh, Lord, I hope I never have to do that. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah. and, and then I ended up doing it, right? And so what I, I believe is that it is, it's both of those things. It's a science yeah. and an art. But it is really 90% science, okay? It okay. can be learned. And I, I'm speaking from personal experience when I tell you I knew Jack Ola about selling when I first got drafted into selling. Mm. And, um, and I struggled for a long time, to be candid with you. And I tried all these different kinds of closes when I was starting. I had I was able to get meetings, but I wasn't able to um, get the deals closed. And so I had this big bloated pipeline. And I, ironically, I was the fat guy at the time too. So, um, <laughs> you know, the, my pipeline looked just like I did, right? And um, and so it was just by accident that I ended up learning how to um, how to you know use the perfect close to mm. uh, to advance the sale. And so once I started using it, though, after on all my other opportunities, suddenly all of the opportunities that were in my pipeline started moving forward. Yeah. And it was a super stressful time because our company was struggling. And so it was like a ton of pressure on me. You better go close or people are going to lose their jobs and all that kind of stuff. And so I, yeah. I struggled for a long time. But once I, once I learned how to do it and then just realized, oh, I don't, I don't need to press so hard. I mean, no. I lost several deals trying these different closing tactics that were out there. But once I realized that you didn't have to close so hard um, and that it would actually move it faster, my, I was, not only was I happier, but I was making tons more money, right? Yeah. Because um, uh, all of the opportunities got unstuck. Yeah, absolutely. So, mate, you know, biggest influence in your career and why? Biggest influence period. Um, man, I, I really love Napoleon Hill. So if you can yeah. count people that have passed away, I would probably yeah. throw him on that list. But but if you want to talk about the living, then I would say Mahan Khalsa, M-A-H-A-N-K-H-A-L-S-A, Mahan Khalsa. And he wrote a book called Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. And this uh, came out, you know, uh, during the, the doc frenzy uh you know around 2000s uh, and this book is the hands down the best book ever on discovery if you want to know how to perform a discovery uh, hands down there's nothing even close maybe someday i'll try to write something that would upgrade it but for now i don't think there's anything better than that book in terms of how can you conduct a discovery with a client that is facilitative authentic and produces a result and helps you and the customer both get the aha that you need that this is worth doing and worth moving forward it is phenomenal and so um and i've had the pleasure of speaking with him and in fact my book is dedicated to him and he, he said something in his book that has uh has stuck with me and is also in my book which is that in intent matters more than technique intent matters more than technique and so uh, you can you could learn the perfect close but if you went in with commission breath and the customer can tell you're doing it all for you yeah. and not for them you, you you're, you're still gonna bomb on the other hand if your intention's in the right place and the customer senses that you can butcher the technique all over the place and you'll still you'll, you'll still succeed because Absolutely. the customer understands that you're trying to serve yeah, that's awesome, and I'm, I'm, you know, I've got myself a new book I'm going to be getting today, so I cannot wait. So I really appreciate you you sharing that with us, James. So, mate, really, you know, I've really enjoyed today, and this is a we could, especially with your energy, um, your enthusiasm, and the fact that you live and breathe this stuff. We could be talking for hours, but you know, I know that you, you <laughs> we're on a bit of a tight schedule. But, mate, um, you know, where can our listeners find a bit more about you? Uh, and we'll also put some of that stuff in the show notes. 
Sure. So probably the best place is just go to the website, which is puremuir.com, P-U-R-E-M-U-I-R.com. And there's a whole ton of, there's like 20 or so resources that they can all download for free, including that report we just talked about, the first three chapters of the book and a whole ton of other tools that are sitting there. Just go to that same domain forward slash resources and it's all free. I'm not charging for any of that. I don't really want anyone to get the book unless they know it's for them. So three three chapters is enough for you to figure out, hey, I think this is for me. (laughs) That's awesome. And then if they do buy the book, they get your workbook as well with it. Well, they can get the workbook. Yeah. It's not automatic, uh, but okay. certainly there's a workbook that's available. There's also an audiobook that's available. And then I have some keynotes there too uh, right. for them to download if they want. Well, anyone, I'm going to put it out there, that anyone that buys your book should buy the workbook because I've thoroughly enjoyed working through it, man. So, so James, I love what you do for our community. Um, and the fact that you do it as a hobby and it's a side hustle just goes to show, it's a testament to who you are as an individual. And I've benefited from you know, your book, and from the content that you've put out, man. So I just want to say thank you, and I appreciate you. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. No worries, man. Thank you so much.